Welcome to the Project Black podcast, co-hosted by Dara, Fatima, Ryan, and Bree, four Black public health professionals, friends, and colleagues. Tune in as we come together to discuss how we can bridge love, access, community care, and knowledge. We are Project Black. Hey everyone, this is Bree from Project Black, and we are Black Again for Episode 3, A Love Letter to Black Men. This week's episode is just in time for Men's Health Month and as we collectively celebrate fathers around the world. Today's episode is very meaningful to all of us here at Project Black because we are joined by three very special guests. First up, we have Lavelle Life Folks, who is a lifelong Boston resident. His experiences in life and love for his people have led him to dedicate his life to serving his community. He currently works as a community support coordinator at Madison Park Development Corporation, a community organization that works to redevelop and revitalize the Roxbury community in Boston. He is also the co-founder of Teaching Every Adolescent Real Solutions, or TEARS for short. This is a social service organization that works with youth of color to provide life skills and conflict resolution training, mentorship, and resource navigation support. Who do we have up next, Dara? Thanks, Bree. Next up is Larry Wynn, who is a Black artist and educator from Mattapan, Massachusetts. He is an arts educator who teaches K-5 through and provides student support in the Cambridge Public School District. Larry also works at Generation Teach as a teacher, coach, and leader. He also has an arts business called Vivid Imagination and uses his art as a way to show the beauty in the Black community. Finally, we're joined by Craig Andrade, who serves as the Associate Dean of Public Health Practice and is also the Director of the Activist Lab at Boston University School of Public Health. He previously directed the Bureau of Family Health and Nutrition at the Massachusetts Department of Public Health, charged with improving the health and well-being of women, infants, children, and families. Dr. Andrade is a registered nurse, licensed athletic trainer, licensed massage therapist, and strength and condition specialist with a doctorate of public health from Boston University. We're so excited to have our guest speakers here today, and now we'll turn the episode over to Ryan for the check-in. So today we just want to start off with a a, a quick check-in question. Uh, what's every what's something everyone's grateful for? Um, for me, I think um, due to this time, I'm actually really grateful to have my job um, because I'm a visual arts teacher in education. A lot of programs are getting cut, um, especially the arts. So I'm really grateful that um, Cambridge still has art teachers and making us um, having us be a really big part of social emotional work with students. So I'm really happy and grateful for that. Uh, for myself, I would say I'm grateful for um, just the way my family overall has responded as a unit to a lot of what's been going on socially. Um, from the way we responded to, you know, being attentive to social distancing with COVID, um, my, my family's response, you know, to, you know, taking care of each other. We've had a couple of people infected with COVID, though, but being able to take care of one another during that time. So just just, just the overall response as a unit, you know, to, to these trying times. I'm grateful for that. I'd say two particular things. First, my, my wife and children, that they have um, been able to lean into this moment in a way that one keeps us all safe and protected and mindful of uh, the privilege that we have to have a roof over our head and food on the table um, in the midst of a grand new granddaughter. Um, and I'm grateful, and to be able to be with um, my family members that I love in this time where most of us are distanced and doing uh, 
our check-ins and connections by Zoom to have people that I love in person. And the new position that I just started is a privilege in all kinds of ways to be able to um, think and, and speak in brave and, and bold ways to, to match the, the needs in the world um, and to be in a community like uh, BU School of Public Health that is really interested in engaging in bold, brave, innovative, um, helpful ways. It's, a good, it's good to be part of that community. Uh, can I just say I love everything that just just happened. I know we're just getting started, but just even hearing what you all are grateful for, it's it's amazing to be able to share space with y'all on this this Sunday morning, Saturday morning. Got my days mixed up because time is a social construct. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with team, definitely interesting times for sure. So let's get started. Thank you again to our guests for joining us today. So as we mentioned, today's episode is dedicated to the Black men out there. This episode is just for you. Um, we are hoping to center our conversation around firsthand accounts of what it means to live and parent as Black men in the U.S. So just to give a little context for our audience, the main conversation will center on life lessons that our guests have picked up living as Black men. We'll ask them a few questions about their health and their mental health and um, communication and thinking about toxic masculinity. And then we'll focus in on the um, role that they feel Black men have as fathers and kind of some of the prominent messages that we've seen about what it means to be a Black dad. And how we foresee this conversation will go is we'll pose a question and our squad has put these together. We've also got some user submitted questions. Shout out to Tony, Zakina, and Ayo. So for each question, um, we'll first have Larry give his response, followed by Lavelle, and then Craig will wrap it up. So let's kick it off with an open acknowledgement that these times have been very rough. It's, it's been a rough couple of months and honestly years. And so as we get started, we want to just check in. So tell us. What does it feel like to be a black man during this current climate? Yeah, recently, especially the last couple of weeks, I've been having a really hard time emotionally navigating everything that's happening. Um, it's been a lot of like seeing videos and reading articles and things, and it's really hard to process. Um, I think recently I've been like really holding my brother and my father and my students and a lot of people who are really close to me who are black really close and kind of making sure that they're good, but also taking care of myself. It's a lot to see somebody die on camera and, um, and it's traumatic. So I think I've been really trying to figure out like, where do I fall in the movement and how I can help, but also protecting my mental health and making sure I'm good and the people around me are good as well. So, so I would say, um, it feels like everybody finally woke up to what I've been screaming about right now. You know, if I'm looking at it in two ways, right? Being a black man in the climate of COVID, I'm definitely afraid. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not the most physically fit man at this point in time in my life, right? So I'm thinking about all of the things that, like, that I have with my health already prior to COVID that I, you know, have to line up. And just thinking about what COVID is and how it's been impacting our community, that was a level of um, fear that, like for me, the only thing in life I have ever feared was diseases because no matter how strong and smart you are and you know, you can't do anything if you're attacked by a disease or a virus, right? You know, it happens, you're just gonna have to hopefully deal with it and, and heal. So this was like one of my biggest fears coming to life and to see it um, exacerbated in our community, which makes sense with all the health disparities. That's a level of um, worry that I, I didn't think I'd have to deal with. But then if I take it to, this, um, this social unrest, well, I've always dealt with that every day. 
right? So like it's two different, two different. That right with that, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm honestly, I am happy. I'm, I'm glad. I, I'm, 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 I'm ecstatic that people have finally taken this time, you know, and myself to really like everyone to see what we're going through. So I'm, I'm in that space. I'm, a, I'm a happy black man. Like yes, I appreciate all of this social unrest. 19 days, 20 days of, of, of continued unrest. I love it. Let's keep it going. We ain't got nothing else to do. So I'm happy about that part. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Craig. Um, I have toggled between all, all kinds of emotions for the last several months. Um, and then the, this last month in particular has been even more intense than all of that. Um, I think it's safe to say that I'm older than most, if not all of you that are on this um, podcast. I remember in 91 when um, Rodney King was being attacked and there were riots in California and, and those went on and those riots were almost, if not exclusively, black and brown people and that's all. And we were then labeled as thugs, and this was just uh, an overreaction to a minor conflict between a black man and cops. And then we saw this march of one after another after another. Um, someone gets off in in Florida um, for shooting um, Trayvon Martin for being in his own neighborhood with a hoodie on, um, and he gets off. And then we um, hear the first time someone saying, I can't breathe with Eric Garner. Um, and that police officer gets off and we go on and on and on and on. And when I saw um, that police officer with his knee on Floyd's neck, I said, please not again. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, um, as, as has been said here, this seems different. Mm -hmm. Now it's going on and it's not just uh, black and brown people that are protesting and marching. It's black and brown and yellow and red and white people of all generations that are protesting and marching. And every single media outfit, outfit has been doing this over and over again. Um, and so I, I see this as a time that could be pivotal and I'm more hopeful. Um, and we're also doing this in the middle of COVID where all of a sudden, where before if we wore a mask, we would definitely not be walking on the street too much longer. Now everybody's wearing a mask and everybody can walk in a, in a bank with a mask. All of this is flipped upside down. So we're, we're testing ourselves in all kinds of ways and we can see the full spectrum of how people fail and how people are stepping up. So, so far, so good. Yeah, I appreciate each of you sharing, right? And just talking about your different identities and what it means to be a black person and obviously each of you are in different fields question around what does this current moment mean to you with the work that you do craig you're in the public health field you were at the department of public health and now you're at an institution uh, school of public health bu as you mentioned uh larry you currently teach right and what you know that i can imagine what that looks like for you and lavelle you do a lot of community organizing work specific around um community violence right and prevention so i would love for you all to just let us know what does this work mean for you right now especially with what's going on um i think for me this work is 
the most important. I think I'm doing like two jobs. I think right now because of COVID, my like a lot of the kiddos have not seen each other or interacted with other kids since March. Um, and they've been home um, kind of navigating everything, not being able to go outside. So I think a lot of my work now is a lot of social emotional work and really making sure that they're doing good. Um, and then on the flip side, we now have protests and there and a lot of kids are on social media and hearing a lot what their parents are saying and they're trying to navigate wait who is George Floyd what is happening what does Black Lives Matter mean so that's also a lot of conversations with them to to kind of help them understand so I teach elementary school so JK through five so they're the babies and so they're really having a time trying to navigate everything and trying to figure out you know what does Black Lives Matter mean I also hear people say all lives matter what does that mean um, so we're kind of trying to figure out a curriculum in a way that helps kids kind of understand what's happening and also trying to have them understand that they can be activists to make change. Because a lot of people feel like because kids are so young, especially elementary, that they aren't able to kind of understand the vastness of things, but they understand a lot. Um, and I think, you know, trying to provide the right tools for them um, right now has been really important. So just making sure, you know, I'm just showing up for them as much as possible, um, especially now that summer is coming. They haven't seen their friends and then they're going right into summer and they might not be going back to school in September. We might still be in distance learning. So it's really stressful for them and family. So just showing up, I think it's the, the big thing right now for me. Yeah, for sure. And thanks for all that you're doing. I remember when I was in school, the teachers, like great teachers really made a difference for me and I'm, I'm pretty sure all of us. So thanks for sharing that. Thank you. So um, similar, like with, with my um, position, I work in community um, violence prevention as a coordinator for the Roxbury Neighborhood um, VIP, which stands for Violence Intervention Prevention. And I'm also a, a trauma responder, a part of the Boston Boston neighborhood trauma teams and for the Roxbury team I'm the coordinator so for me the, the biggest thing has really been just like the disconnect of COVID that COVID's created like um you know there's been a spike in violence in our city you know over the over the time frame from you know COVID's beginning until up to right now right you know and so a lot of it had to do with youth or people just in, in that youth age range, even if they weren't like in high school, 20, 21. So still really, really young. Um, and, and the biggest issue I've had and, and the, the biggest barrier I've been trying to overcome is just that disconnect of not being able to get out there to go to scenes. Um, I go to funerals and do funeral supports. That's one of the places where you can you know, start fostering um, relationships and connections with people, you know, after incidents and being able to connect them to, to the therapeutic resources that, that can be supportive, right? Um, which was needed before COVID, but now in the time of COVID is, is, is needed 10 times more. Um, so that's been the biggest barrier. So, you know, I've tried, you know, different things to make sure I stay connected with people to let people know that we're still available myself and the people on my team. Um, you know, I've done some food pantries where I, you know, I collect from ABCD. So I work with the ABCD and, um, you know, they, they, they give me, um, supplies for a family. So I bring that and I work with some residents around that and just really like continuing to know that, like, what's, you know, even though we're shut down as professionals in, in a lot of ways, our community never gets a chance to take these breaks, right? They, they have to keep going. Like you said, the kids, the kids have to learn how to adapt to school. My, my teenagers that I work with, 
have to now learn how to adapt to not having the BCYFs open or, you know, potential summer employment or, you know, just anywhere to go, right? Where all the adults are in the house, but all the teens are on the street, you know? So it's, it's, um, it's really just the case of, you know, making sure I make those phone calls, text people when I need to, um, you know, and, and continuing to just like make sure my line of communication is open and active and put myself in spaces that they can they can connect with me, um, building those bridges. So that way, when this is over, there we don't because one of the one of the biggest issues for for me and those in my field has been the building of trust because you know how the black community deals with mental health in a lot of instances, right? It's not something that we always um, go to willingly and, and openly and with a, with a clear mind, right? So it's like we've built a lot of cachet of trust now that we've been gone for so many months, not going to scenes, not going to funerals, not being the support that we can, like, I don't want the community to not feel like they, that we're there for them. You know what I mean? Like, like we're still here. I'm still here. And, and that's really what I've just been trying to do all this time. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And again, appreciate all, all the work that you're, you're still trying to do, even though it's, it's harder now. So thanks. Well, I would say that you know, I, I toggled and, and, and straddled two jobs, uh, two different jobs during this COVID and then moving into all of this racial and social unrest. Um, in the beginning, as we, as everyone else around the country at the Department of Public Health, that is the Bureau Director for Maternal and Child Health, um, Bureau of Family Health and Nutrition, that manages um, and tries to support the lives of mothers, fathers, infants, children with special health needs, and, and, and all families. Um, the, the state, Massachusetts, is in many ways um, more progressive than many states. At the same time, all of us were new to this COVID thing that we're doing and redefining our work in all kinds of ways. And where we do more often than not focus on those that have the highest need, there was this new need where everyone had a high need to try to find a protection. And so we had to work from the center and hope that we included those in the margins. And we continued to refine and refine over and over again and understand that we were missing out certain people, especially, if, for example, where people didn't speak English. We had to figure out how to translate all the preventative measures that we needed to help people to understand how to do and be sure we were reaching as many languages as possible to be sure no one was left out. Um, Boston was sent in vans with um, speakers on top of the vans trying to share different um, recommendations in Creole, um, Cape Verde and Haitian Creole and um, broad dialects across um, um, Asian and um, um, other, other languages. And then when it comes to immigrants who had already been afraid of government because of all the challenges that have been happening in the federal um, sphere, um, trying to be sure that people were still able to use WIC and still being willing to engage with um, home visitors to make sure that everyone was being cared for and had what they needed. And then when all this stuff um, after George Floyd's murder happened, um, moving over to School of Public Health and trying to be in that sphere that supported our own internal community while we also engaged the rest of the community and how can we take this moment to pivot in the right place. 
And as a, as a black man in the midst of all of that, walking in and out of professional environments to personal environments, to a, a state and government environment, to a academic environment, there's code switching that's happening in all kinds of different ways that go um, in multi, multiple different languages almost. Um, and finding ways for me to find that balance um, to be on in one way in one place and on in another way in another place, be able to support um, people of color in a different way than you might support white people and then care for myself and my family. And um, frankly, it had got and is still in many ways exhausting. Um, and that self-care um, is, uh, is an art but, and not a science by any means. And I'm still figuring it out. Mm, thanks so much for being honest and vulnerable and like naming that you've been in the field for many years and you've gone through different places and still it's still hard right being a black man and still being of support and I, I think that takes us to our next question it's a great segue yeah thank you so much Craig and you speak and you spoke a lot to the shifting that black men have to do in order to navigate different spaces and be seen as professional and all that um, so that brings us to our next question um, what what do you think freedom looks like for black men and for black boys? Well, I think, um, ooh, that's a tricky question. I think freedom is, for me, I don't know, tricky right now. We're free, yes. But I think in a lot of ways, we aren't just due to society and how they view black men and the roles that we have to play in different spaces. Um, I think for me, being a teacher, I like seeing kind of black boys be themselves in a space where they are uplifted, but also held accountable. Like it's really nice to see. I think sometimes as you get older, having that autonomy and that space to be free and experience joy and, and kind of be yourself is really hard because there's so many other um, aspects to blackness that we, that black men kind of have to, not have to, but have a tendency of falling into and things. So that's kind of, my perspective yeah that question i was sitting here thinking about the answer to that and i know and, and i'll say like freedom for black boys and, and black men is to be able to voice your opinion without being considered to be angry or aggressive right um freedom is to be able to you know look at yourself and not feel like you're less than someone else right you know what i mean like to, to have true freedom of thought right like i don't you know there's so many so many subliminals and overt messages that we get from the time that we're, you know, really coming out and being in the world and, and, you know, and you're formulating who you are, it creates these, these internal barriers and cages, right? You know, like freedom for young black boys and bosses is for them to actually feel like they can go to Fenway and go to the North End and go to places that aren't Roxbury, Dorchester and Mattapan, right? and not have people look at them like, why are you here? You don't belong here. This is not your space. Freedom is actually living and not feeling like you have to have freedom papers when you go from one part of Boston to another part and the police just jump out of a car and say, yo, what are you doing around here? And I say, my aunt lives around here. Like that, you know, like, you know, there's, there's literal things that, that could be done to allow us to be feel free, right? you know, like physical things, right? Where we're not oppressed, where we don't have a, a literal police state. 
you know, from 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 Black and Hut Security, which is old security, to Viper, to MBTA, to the BPD, to the detectives, which are basically a different sector of BPD. So they have a different set of rules to the state police, to all of these different entities that that over police us every day. You know what I mean? Like like there's so many levels, and then the freedom to just be, to be emotional, right? As a black man, right? One of my biggest things is like when I'm in a space where I'm not feeling just good, it's like, I know people say it because it's supposed to be helpful. Like, yo, everybody depends on you. Everybody relies on you. And it's like, yo, that's what I don't want right now. Like right now I'm in a space of vulnerability where you telling me that everybody depends on me puts more pressure on me to not ever be vulnerable. I have to always be up because you rely on me because in your estimation, I move in a different way that other black men don't move. So I have to be an example. So I always have to be up, up, up. I don't ever get to be down, right? Um, and I know it's it's actually a compliment when it's said. It's just like, yo, at this moment, I just want to be like, Ugh. you know? Um, and I can't always be free to be that, right? So it's like, a it's a lot of different levels of like freedom, both physically, mentally, emotionally, just like that ability to be, right? The brother got dreads, I love it. Because I remember before, that wasn't something you could freely do. I worked at a program in this city that taught people how to get jobs that were, you know, out of the work field. And one of the things they talked about was hair, and I hated that. Mm -hmm. I hated that. I'm like, why are we even setting ourselves up like that? And the last thing I want to say, freedom is being able to raise your black boys, black girls, brown boys, brown girls without having to instill submissiveness in them. And I, and, and I understand why we do it and we say, when the police come or when these authorities come, just, you know, just listen. It's for your life, I get it. But damn, we have to continue to instill fear into our babies? I mean, that's horrific. And I hate that we have to do it, but I get it. But I wish we had freedom from that too. I wish we had white freedom. Where I could just walk into a room and not have to worry about anything. That's amazing. I envy that. Just quickly off of, um, you talked a lot about like fostering environments, um, but also feeling like the weight of, you know, being a, a person and a leader in the community. Um, where, where do you all find relief in that? Where do you find that relief from? Like, you know, for Larry, it's not just you, but it's your family, but it's also your kids. And like for Lavelle, it's like, you know, for the different communities you serve, like one, how do you foster that environment for the people that you interact with, but also how do you find relief for yourself so you have that space to be vulnerable, to to be free, to you know navigate your your own emotions. I find my I find my comrades and my kindred spirits. Like one thing I could say is like if you if you know if you go to enough spaces and you see enough people who feel just like you, right? So I, I have people that different levels of capacity to be able to have the conversations that I have, right? Some people I have certain conversations with, not that I want a, a filtered answer. I just don't, I wouldn't put that pressure on them to have that type of level of conversation when it comes to maybe some, some emotional things that, right? I, I, like talking to a black woman about some of the things a black man faces doesn't always work, right? Because she doesn't necessarily deal with it from my perspective. Just like I don't deal with what you deal with. So sometimes I need that right partner. So I found right partners that I can I can talk to particular issues with when it comes to self, when it comes to community, and it helps me be able to just process and process and invent and then do it 
without fear of them, the, 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 their right partners, because I know they won't judge me. They won't judge my vulnerability. They won't, they won't come back later on and be like, I remember that moment when you were vulnerable and like hold that against me. You know what I mean? I can freely be all aspects of me, the angry me, the happy me, the sad me, and not worry about it. I so appreciate what Lavelle and Larry have said in all of in this particular question. It is such um, a a legacy of um, bondage that men and black men and brown men in particular have been around their own emotional health. Our vocabulary around emotions for most of us first out of safety for us to show any kind of fear or upset or anxiety, sadness would be a, a true danger just to walk down the street because of someone um, trying to harm you because they saw you as vulnerable in one way or another. And then in general society, the broad spectrum of ability to have to say stone-faced in a way that you cannot do anything but be neutral because anything on some other side than neutral would mean that somehow you, you were going to be a danger to anybody in the majority white culture. Um, I, at still, I can walk down the street with a bow tie on and a suit and watch someone walk across the street to the other side. Um, so we have been bound um, to a, a narrow thin lane of being able to be our, our full emotional self to the point where we have difficulty having meaningful relationships. I'm speaking in broad terms about a black and brown brothers because we have been so tied up in being walking a fine line of being strong and 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 um, um, brave and nothing else not not happy not sad not not depressed not um, ecstatic I cannot remember any time in my professional life where anyone has seen me be angry I, I cannot remember a moment in that time. And that is not healthy. We can be professional and show displeasure, anger, and a, and a spectrum of things. Now at 60, I have been able to show my full range of, of emotions in relatively professional, um, productive ways. And I've only, only just begun. Um, and my brothers here on this call have a whole life ahead of you. And I hope and pray that you all can be all of who you are. We have to be all of who are, we are because our life is too short. And our physical health can be affected by, by tamping down our emotional health. I spent a long time working with healthy men and boys and that socialization, us wearing that mask that says, this is just who we are, hard as a rock, doesn't, doesn't cut it. And so um, it is critical that we're able to do that, not just in, in um, um, private spaces with, uh, with our friends um, in the hood, but in, in, in the boardroom and in every other place. And now I, um, bottom of my nose, I'm showing every pierce that I have on my nose and my ears, my tattoos come out in full force all the time. Um, and I am, I am trying all I can on a daily basis to be all of who I can be, because I believe if I'm all who, who I am, that's the best for everybody. That's when I'm gonna be the best professional, when I'm gonna be the best husband, the best father, um, and the best um, neighbor.
I'm crying. If y'all can see, y'all can't see my tears through the audio of this podcast, but I am tearing up because that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna just say that and, and go back on mute. <laughs> Craig, I think that was extremely powerful, Lavelle. Like, I that because I feel like right now I'm I'm navigating in a space where, um, Craig, that I I am seeing because I'm the only black male in my entire school. I'm the only black male in the visual performing arts department, well, visual arts department. Um, and so not only do I have to be strong, but I also have to be a lot softer and warmer because I'm also working in an environment where I have a lot more white children than I worked before. And so I have to navigate working with families that fear me if I'm stern, but also working with families that that is like my expectation. And so for the last two years, I've been really having a hard time of what do I show and what do I not show? How do I navigate this space? And it's so hard because, for example, when George Floyd happened, I was pissed and I was hurt and I was upset. And the only person that reached out to me in my administration was my vice principal, who's a black woman. No, And then all of a sudden I'm getting all these like texts, like, how are you? And it's like, you know how I'm feeling. You, you can watch the news. You can go on Facebook and see how I'm feeling. Like, why do I, it's like, I'm, I'm making you feel better by you asking me how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like for this question, like Lavelle, I'm, I'm like yoked with people who think like me and who I can be vulnerable with. Um, and I'm also right now kind of making a space in my job where I'm like, I'm going to say how I'm going to advocate for these kids and these families. And if you think right now, my tone of voice is not, you know, kind or whatever, that's just going to how, how it has to be because this is how I'm feeling. And I have a right to have emotions in this space. Um, and it's really hard because, you know, you teeter, you mess with one line, you, you're out of a job or, you know what I mean? It's really hard to navigate these spaces because you have to be so many things to so many people instead of just being a black man in this space. Cause that's what everybody else can come to work and do. So it's, it's really hard. And I, I respect you for saying that. that, that is powerful to me. Thank you. So, so it's funny that we're having this conversation and, and you all, you brothers, you all saying some, some amazing things and, and you're so spot on um, with just how you're, you're pointing out these, these inequities. And I was talking um, to someone the other day and they asked me about, you know, they said, you know, being happy with, with work. And I said, I'm always happy with work, but work and systems aren't the same thing. Like I only take a job that I like to do, right? I read those job descriptions and I come in and I'm like, I'm ready to rock and roll. But I understand also that I'm also working systems, a multitude of systems that don't necessarily line up with my expectations of, of, of like, you know, progressive work, but it's okay. You have to figure out how to work. And I bring that up to say, like, I was telling her, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of the system, right? I, I'm, my mother was on welfare back in the day, man. You know what I'm saying? I remember going to those offices and being by those double swing doors, you know, waiting to go to an appointment. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I did therapy when I was a kid. I, I was in DYS. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I was on probation. Like, I was school to prison pipeline through and through before it was a school to prison pipeline. You know what I mean? Um, I was expelled from BPS um, because I caught a criminal case. Nothing to do with school, but they realized that they can get me out of school. So they did it. I'm bringing that up to say I had to learn how to switch my codes all the time from those systems. 
And one thing I did learn was, um, I'm always gonna be me though. Like I'm always gonna be me. But in a way where you're gonna have to accept me. That's what DY taught me. The staff would say, my last name is Folks. Folks, you were right. But what you said and how you said it was wrong. So we don't hear nothing you're saying. And then I realized, well, damn, the whole world works off this prison model. You just gotta say it the right way at the right time to the right person. In most instances, just don't embarrass their asses. And that's what I realized. You can sort of be who you are for the most part, as long as you ain't embarrassing somebody. So let me let you know, like when I give my strong opinion in this room, as the lone black man, Larry, I've been that guy, bro. I know what you're talking about. But you know what? You need to know, because one thing I feel like I'm not letting you get away with is saying you ain't never had nobody tell you because that's what other people will tell you. We didn't know. Oh my God, it is so shocking. Jeez. Well, let me be that black guy that tells you all the time. And what I found is some of my best relationships with all races and all genders have come from those contentious moments. Real recognize real. You, we're not gonna change people who don't wanna be changed. We're not gonna make wake people up who don't wanna be woken up. No matter how soft we speak in some of these spots, they ain't gonna feel us anyway. So I figured, let me just be me. <laughs> and, and that's what I do. And you know what, like, I, I swear I have some, with, with people that work in the city, with, in, in government, like literally from me being in the room, like I'm not at you as a person, but I am at this idea that we're talking about in this space right now. So how can we all be better? Because at the end, isn't that what we're here for? So it's really like, I'm putting this back on you. Isn't that what we're here for? With the parents I work with, Larry, isn't that what you're here for? I'm making your kids better, right? Mm -hmm. Like, let's work together. So as, as a young black, I, mean, I, I talk a lot, y'all. So if you need to stop me, stop me. But real quick, Larry, my son's, <laughs> in, my son's in a charter school, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's in a charter. There's not, there's probably, at one point, there was only one male black teacher. Then they, they got a couple more black teachers, um, they're black men, younger men. And, and, and I've talked with these men and I have real conversations with them about what it, what it means to teach my son mm -hmm. and how I expect, you know, I would, I would appreciate them teaching my son. I understand there's a multitude of kids in there, but let me help you. And, and, and I could see the confusion sometimes on that man, you know what I'm saying? And on those young men, because they're coming into a space that's not even remotely catered to our culture, Mm -hmm. our, our class at times, you know what I'm saying? Our community, when even like in, in the cities, you know, being distinct towards like that city's nature. So like, I get that, that struggle, bro. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate, let me just, I just want to say, I appreciate you, bro. I do so much for being in the belly of a system that doesn't really want us to succeed and grow all the time, man. You know what I'm saying? So like, I appreciate you, bro, and keep that good work up. That's all I had to say. I talk a lot, y'all. I'm going to back out now. Yeah. Come <laughs> on, Brotherhood. Let, let, me, let me tell you, this is, this is why we're in the challenges that we are right now. Can you, we all understand the rage that we've seen in the streets in the last several, in the last week or so. That's pent up rage. That's pent up emotion. That's pent up anger. And that's a, that's a, a, a ton of individuals that have walked in those coded, um, muted places where they couldn't be who they could, uh, who they are. They couldn't say what they um, were angry about. They couldn't vent that frustration in all kinds of different ways. And when they put that knee on his neck, they 
we you heard a collective enough and there's where that and and you saw the shift in the media all of a sudden it was all this damage that was happening to property over and over again and i get that and sometimes it was happening in our own neighborhoods and we were really messing up our own homes at the same time it was property and they were they've been killing our black brothers and sisters and the the rage was not the same the outrage wasn't the same in the media when those things happened but when the businesses were damaged that was that was so if my point being if if we were able to be have a full vocabulary of our emotions ex exposed and and balanced in ways that came out when as it was appropriate and as it needed to organically we would have that capacity to be fully emotionally emotional beings and be able to meet the frustrations in ways that were more healthy, more productive, that made the change that we want. I, I hope that that's, that's part of the, the change that is coming. And we can, we can, the only way we help that change move forward is by being our emotional self when we're on the job, when we're in the church, when we're, in, when we're, when we're on the um, podium saying something when we're leading forward in our family in our communities and in all those other spaces it has to happen um and it has to happen to turn the corner so that we we can present ourselves as ways that can be true partners in all the change that we want to happen i'm not saying you know the the subtle message in all those things was hey behave like we were children behave you can get angry, but get angry with a quiet voice and don't and don't pick up anything or or or, or throw anything. When you're angry, you're angry. And when you're angry for 400 years, that anger is big and hard. Come on. And I just want to note that when you what you all are talking about, like before we even talked about the protest, you were talking about what it means to be a black man and how you've had to have these emotions pent up. And then you see these issues continue to happen, right? And what that looks like and, and just being able to express that. And for people to understand that what you all are talking about are, are centuries of systemic injustice as it relates to race, right? And what that looks like, you know, a lot of people talk about intergenerational trauma and some of the things you can't even necessarily say, but you just feel it, right? When you said that, that knee on someone's neck, everyone, like even if you weren't black you felt that because to take another human's life is what we all know that that's something that we can't give back right so there's an emotional response that is even heightened within the black community when you're continuously having to respond to events like this i know my i i honestly i am so grateful for my wife and for my counselor i had to learn how to use those other emotions it was like all those all those voices in the choir had to step back and wait for their time to be able to try out their voice. And all, I mean, now late in my life, I've learned that because that's been pushed down. And thank God for an, a, a strong woman who was able to kind of help me find those voices and, and getting that counseling to make sure that I could, I could do that without being all the, all the things that I thought I was gonna be a monster or whatever, those kinds of things. Um, Larry, I wanna get you in on this. Listen, I, I totally agree with you said um, counseling and, you know, having like I have um, some, well, Dara, my awesome girlfriend who's really supportive. Um, but I also have like two best friends who are females. They've known me since ninth grade in biology class at BLA. They've been riding with me. And I feel like I've had a lot of people who who are next to me that hold me accountable. But 
I really had to take that time being like, I'm not processing my emotions well. I don't like sitting in anger. What is this sadness? What is, what is this depression? And really had to go to, to therapy also to figure out how do I navigate these emotions? Because growing up, that wasn't an option. Being emotional wasn't an option. And so it took me till now to be like, okay, I don't like the way this feels. Let me go and handle my business. And I've been doing it for a while. And I, I really would say like, it, it feels good to be able to like tap, tap into these emotions and keep telling yourself like, it's all right. You're pissed off right now. It's okay that you're sad right now. Let's process this. And I think the problem, not a problem, but one thing I'm noticing is it's a lot harder especially for younger students. Like I have a lot of conversation with my young boys about like, it's okay to be angry, mm -hmm. but sometimes with anger is, it's like a fire. Fires don't burn forever. And once these things there, when the fires are done and put out, you're really left with all these underlying emotions. You didn't take care of these underlying emotions. And what's happening right now is my fear is that people are raging and, and angry, but what happens when all that anger is done? and you're left with, with all those underlying emotions, then we have to really work on that fear, that sadness, that, that like hopelessness, and like how do you process these things in, um, in a way that's safe, that you know that like you have a community around you that will take care of you and hold you accountable. It's like so many facets of different things, and um, I, I agree, it, it take, it, it's, it's hard, but I think when you do the work, you feel a lot better. Um, and I think everybody around you will notice like you're doing the work and you're taking care of yourself because that's really important. I, I think towards like both of the things you all are talking about too is really just like how do we learn what proper expression of our emotions is, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do, who, who teaches us that, right? Who, who taught us how to like deal with an argument, right? Who taught us how to deal with like something that makes us happy, right? Like who just teaches us how to really emotionally regulate? And I don't think you know, there are enough examples of that um, consistently for people to see on multiple levels, right? Right, because you come from your house and that's mm -hmm. one emotional regulation you're learning, but then you go outside and you see what your friends are doing and you go to school and you see how your teachers regulate. And then you also see how people expect you to regulate. So you're trying to put all these things together, right? And if you're not getting good examples um, early, you know, which, which I didn't and which a lot of kids that I know didn't, right? You know, our, our way of regulating was like, man, I'm angry. Well, let's, let's wild out. <laughs> you know, like, like this really no, like I'm either angry or wild out or I'm chilling. You know, like you talk to kids all the time, like I'm chilling, I'm chilling. Oh, they got me so mad. I'm chilling. It's like no in between, like it's chilling and they're really mad, right? You know, so like, um, really like, when, when, when you're talking, Larry, I'm thinking about the kids in elementary school and thinking about my son where he had this wave of time where he was just angry at school all the time. And, you know, like, I'm constantly like, damn, what's up with my son? What am I doing wrong? How can I teach him to be better? Like, what is he not seeing from me that's not, you know, not allowing him to know how to deal with his emotions in this way, right? And then when I'm thinking about him at that age in second and third grade, I'm like, I gotta get this now. Cause if I don't get them now, mm -hmm. by the time he gets to middle school and high school, wow. it's a wrap. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking about the teenage years when he's seven, because I'm like, this behavior has to get regulated. I don't, I don't want him to not get mad. I've never told him not to do that. But how do I help you learn what's a proper way to show this emotion in class so you don't just get mad, storm out, and then they call me and they say you're running up and down the halls. 
because what I see and what I know is that kid, not my son in general, but like that kid who doesn't learn that becomes the 14 year old, which was me, who's on the block with his homies, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm using my emotional regulation skills in the wrong way now, you know what I mean? And then it becomes the 20 year old me sitting on Nashua Street. Oh, you know what I mean? Like sitting in there like, damn, how do I deal with this emotion with this CO yelling at me right now? And I just want to go upside of his head, right? You know what I mean? But then there's all types of different things that come from it. And then I had to learn. I learned from men. Men taught me how to be a man, man, right? Which is what's supposed to happen. But in my upbringing, where I was at, I had my father, but he wasn't always the best example, but he was a good example, but he wasn't the best. He, he was missing pieces. You know what I mean? He did as good as he could do with the pieces he didn't have. You know what I mean? And I appreciate him. And he, he laid the seeds for me to be able to do what you all have done and I've done later on in life. Find those other things to really now water those seeds through therapy and talking with people. And now the things he wanted me to be, I can be because other people have helped fill in gaps. I got to say, Lavelle, that the challenge is, is there's so many of us that didn't grow up. And, and I mean, I didn't know my father or my grandfather. And there's a whole bunch of other black and brown men that never had a father in the home or even a grandfather in the home. So there's a, there's a legacy of, of, of black and brown boys and young men that didn't have a, a role model to be able to understand how you could do that with balance or how you could sort it out. Um, thankfully, people like both of you are more present in families. I've, I've been able to be with my children in my home. I was the first. My, all four of my three of my brothers, we, we were raised by my, by my mom. And thank God, she, was, she found a way to be both our father and our mother. Um, and she, she showed us how to be emotional and how to regulate in certain ways. And I still, again, it took years and, 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 a, and a solid relationship with my wife to be able to sort that out and, and configure it. And I, hopefully a generation now will have more present, good, healthy, um, men that are beings present, nurturing fathers in their in their home to be able to help people do it a whole different way. Listen, y'all are conducting this interview all on your own. Like we haven't even had to throw out any questions because y'all are just hitting on everything that we wanted to talk about. And it's so powerful and so beautiful to see the community, the organic brotherhood that has already formed in our short time talking together today. So thank you. Thank you so much. And as we move into another question, we want to keep this theme going of what does it mean to help these the black men who are first embarking on this journey of emotional regulation and learning how to improve their communication with the people around them. And so one of our questions is from our, a listener named Sakina who is interested to see how do you think black men show up for black women? How can the black men who are on this path to improving their communication skills start to communicate better with, with black women, with the people around them, with their family members, their friends? Um, just tell us a little bit about your thoughts about that. I'll say real quickly, one of the things that I found really helpful, um, we, a friend of mine pulled me into what, he, what they call the Brothers Healing Circle. Once a week, all about, about 12, 15 men got together and just started telling stories and, and talking about what's in front of them that week and, what, and, and um, finding a space that we 
created for ourselves where we trusted each other we could be all of who we wanted to be in front of each other and 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 speak about the challenges that we might have had in our relationships in a way that that allow us to then go back there and be the people that can be an invested in in relationships in a way that we can give that back and forth and not feel like we're we're trying to one up someone or, or all of those kinds of things so that that was a godsend to you know for a rare moment where i was able to be myself in front of other men and not be feel like i was going to be judged for for being too kind or or too sad or 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 something that that didn't align with someone's image of being a man um it 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 made it, i i was amazed at how hungry we all were for that and how that that really kind of address that hunger in ways that that we we didn't have to kind of be striving and going in all kinds of bleak direct oblique directions because we never had that space the only time we talked with men was when we were in bars or on the on the on the corner and that's all fronting in all kinds of different ways here we could be who all of who we were i feel like um for me i think it's really important important to start at a young age by addressing a lot of um kind of the things that you see in a lot of black men later on in life addressing it kind of when kids are young like i have a lot of conversations with like my students about um like proper touch if somebody says don't touch me don't touch me like and sometimes that's not a conversation that's had at home and so I like to like, you know, just different conversations about just blackness at a really young age is really important. I feel like with my parents, they kind of told me like, this is how if somebody's talking to you, this is how you should behave. This is how you should act outside. Like, but it wasn't really a conversation about like, if you're feeling upset, this is what you should do. If you're feeling angry, this is what you should do. And those are things that I had to learn later. So those are conversations that I have with my like younger kids now. It's like, okay, you can be mad and throw a chair, but did that get your point across? Right. You know what I mean? Like, let's use your words to figure out what's going on. So um, I think, you know, starting really young is really important. Um, and Lavelle, like you said, like, it's really important when you're young because when you're in middle school going through all those changes and it's really hard, it's really hard to change a middle schooler's mind about how to, to, to navigate the world. So it's really good to kind of get them when they're young. I mean, I think in my suggestion um, when you're older is to really find a group of people who are like-minded um, that will help you kind of navigate things in a healthy way. Um, I think sometimes it's really easy to take on kind of ideas that sound good, but are they actually good and healthy for people who, who you know um, you're around? So kind of really having people who will hold you accountable um, is really important. So I, I would definitely um, go, you know, talking about black men and relationships with black women, you know, in particular, um, the first thing you really have to just get, get comfortable with what you have learned as like, you know, appropriate behaviors between yourself and, and a woman, you know what I mean? Um, I know, you know, speaking of my dad, you know, like I used to, when I was young, my dad wasn't with my mom, but we would be going through the city. He couldn't drive. We got on the train and bus and he'd see a woman and he just like, he had this, this like weird noise he'd make to try to get their attention. And I thought that's what you did to get a woman's attention. So like when I was a young kid, I would, I would go, pss, pss, and I'm like, that's mad weird. Like, I'm not doing that. Then as I was growing up as a teenager, I learned how to talk to women from my peers. What up, shorty? What up, mom? What up, boo? 
all of those different things you say, right? And you do it, I know I did it because, oh snap, it worked, he got our number. Damn, now you got a sweet talker. Okay, this works, everything lines up. Yay, that's how it works when you deal with women. That's not the reality. That particular woman took these really horrible ways to get her attention and accepted it. And you think that's how all women are gonna be, right? So like, it's really like, for me, I had to learn what it was I learned about men and women and relationships from what I seen with my mother and what I didn't want with her relationships, what I seen with my father and what I didn't want with his relationships what I knew about myself and my comfortability with relationships and, 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 and the responsibility that I have to give to a person. You know what I mean? Like, like now we're beholden to each other, regardless if we're married, we've come to a certain contract where it's like, yo, I do certain things. You do certain things. We, we have this agreement with each other, but can I fulfill that agreement? And do, do you fit what I need to fulfill the agreement for me? Cause what lines up with, with like the woman I like, it's based on a whole bunch of things that sometimes I didn't even realize were being imprinted on me. So I had to really go back myself, learn myself, um, you know, trial and error, screw up a couple of relationships, you know what I mean? Like, damn, I'm sorry. I really was whack. I wish I didn't meet you then. I wish you met me before this or after this. At this point, I wasn't ready yet. Um, and then just continue to work and talk and um, and, and really, figuring out like that partner man like I, I look 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 for the woman who who doesn't yes man me or yes woman me but accentuates what i want to be better about me you know what i'm saying and accentuates and she she has things that i, I love about her that i i, I want to be around and i want to grow with you know what i'm saying it's like how can i see us go like this right you know what I'm like if we come together like this at first but how can i see us intertwine that's what i start to look at towards my relationships when i consider to be what's the valuable thing about a relationship, the building, you know? But I talk a lot, y'all, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, thank you. We are so appreciative of you all um, being so honest and so candid and sharing your truth and your, and your stories and your experiences. And we really think our, our audience is gonna benefit from you all telling, talking as much as you want to. So please continue to do so. And we'll move into the next question now. So it is June. Recognizing that this is Men's Health Month, it's also going to be Father's Day, around Father's Day when this episode is released. So we'd be remiss not to acknowledge and to bring up the role that you all feel um, Black fathers play today. And so as we, we've kind of touched on some of these topics already, you've talked about your experiences working with your students, Larry, and then also Lavelle and Craig, you are both fathers. So talk to us a little bit about what does it mean to be a black father in today's world and and what messages both subliminal and overt do you see in the media and in society about black fatherhood i think part of um i, I resonate with what lavelle had said about um i i learned what i didn't want from what i saw from um like i said before i didn't i never knew my father but there was a stepfather involved and um I'll be frank, um, he beat my mother and I, I knew that was wrong. I, you know, I have memories to this day where I was pulling him off of my mother. And so I understood how disrespectful some can treat people. And I understood that I could never go down that road. And um, that is the path of trying to find a good relationship. And so now 
my son and my daughter, who are both adults, um, see how my wife and I disagree in a way that is at the same time respectful, that can resolve an argument in a way that doesn't um, stop talking for the whole day or for a whole week. We try to resolve a conversation before we go to bed and then continue to talk if we need to, to make sure we can, we can um, move it forward so we can put it away and know that we can move on. And now this July will be 39 years. They've watched two, two relationships um, go beyond and thrive and they've developed relationships that have been modeled after that. That's something that I never saw that's something my wife never saw. And you know, there, there, we need to be able to show and raise up those models in, in all kinds of ways. Um, I, it's, it's also important um, to acknowledge that my wife is white, I'm black, so my children are, are identify as, as multiracial and that's a whole different ball to carry. Um, and they've been able to carry that in the way because they know that I'm proud of who I am, she's proud of who she is, and they can resonate with, with the, the family on my side and, and be included in a complete way and, and know that they could also be included in another space. That, that still is a territory that this society has a lot to learn. And I'd like to think that um, at least the, the the, the, the successes that we have in our relationship can inform my children on how that happens moving forward. Amen, the great relationships. And thanks for sharing that part of your story, right? Where you're mentioning what happened to you as a child and you didn't have to mention that. So I just wanna honor that as we held space for that. And to also say that whatever you're doing, it seems like you're doing a great job and amazing to hear that you're now grandfathers, little ones. <laughs> well, no, nothing is perfect. And I have my moments and my wife will tell you that. Um, but the fact is, you know, in the midst of those hard moments, that's, it's always easy to, to do well when it's easy. But mm -hmm. after 39 years to be able to survive the hard times, that means that we we're invested. And that took a long time to get there. And now we're reaping the benefits. Mm. Amazing. I think for me, um, I'm not a father yet. <laughs> but I do sometimes consider some of my students, like my kids. Um, but... I think just for me, it's really about communication and letting kids see you um, expressing different emotions in a really healthy way. Um, and I think, you know, my dad was, my dad's been with my mom for a really long time too. And I, I, um, I think one thing he's taught me is that like, you, you always provide no matter what with it to your family. And like for years, my mom um, has been, you know, sick and just seeing my dad like, never give up and always stay by her side and always be somebody who's present um, for her, no matter like what she's going through, I think kind of show me that like, you know, there's gonna be really hard times, but you can overcome it because, you know, you love this person and you care about them. Um, and I think, you know, not persevering, but um, always kind of showing up um, and being present is really important. And I think I, I try to do that, you know, for my students. And I think when it comes to the media, um, I think there's, it's a wide range of parents. Like if you are watching like Love and Hip Hop, you see a, um, some dads on there that, that are acting a certain way. And if you watch, you know, I don't know, something else, you might see dads acting another way. So I think it, I think it all depends on 
what you're watching and how you're taking it in. But I think a lot of um, media kind of portrays black fathers not being there. Um, in, in some circumstances, like, yes, that's true. And then there's other circumstances where black fathers are showing up and being there. So um, I think it depends on like what you're, what you're taking in and consuming, but. Um. So I'm gonna start with a joke, right? About the media aspect. Chris Rock did it on a standup in the nineties. He was like, there's a hundred songs for mamas. There's only one song for daddies. Papa was a rolling stone, right? So like, what, so the, you know, from, from the perspective of being a black dad, right? Being a black single dad, like my son lives with me, you know what I mean? Live with me. His mom, his mom is in his life too. So it's not that his mom doesn't play a role in his life, but my, it's the reverse how it normally is, right? My son lives with me. I take him to school. I do all those things from the time he was born to right now. Like, so one of the, one of the craziest things I always get the response is, oh my God, that's so wonderful. And I'm like, why? I'm just like, why do I get any extra praise? What is so special about me doing what I think everyone should do and, 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 and do? Why is that so, so amazing that I'm doing it? Why do I get so much glowing reviews because I'm doing something everyone's doing? And, I, and I, that to me comes from the idea that black men don't raise their kids or at least they don't raise their kids singularly, right? And I can say um, I have three friends who are single black dads, have their kids, um, take care of their kids in, in the way like we, we expect only black moms to do, right? When I, one thing I've had to learn how to navigate is how to be a dad and a mom with the emotion, like, you know, like, 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 you know, how women say, how do I, how do I raise? Well, as a black man, right, I have a level of engagement um, just because my natal temperament is different than what his mom's temperament is, right? And so I, I, I approach things differently. But how do I, I add all the nurturing, all the soothing? So I'm always constantly looking at that. Like, how do I tell my son it's okay to be emotional as a man? I'm constantly having to reevaluate my emotional regulation, um, my presentation, my affect, all of these different things so that I can model things for my son so that when he goes and he um, has a child or has a relationship, whatever just, you know, goes in the future, he's doing it in the most positive, positive way for himself and whoever's around him, right? I want my son to be a model for, um, for, for, for amazing behavior, right? For, for just great, great um, thinking, right? You know what I mean? Doesn't mean he has to do everything everyone else does. Just, just I want him to be able to really truly think because that's the one thing, if I can't give him anything else, critical thinking is most important to me for my son to have the ability to look at life and ask certain questions, not just go and do. Um, so as, as, as the media's projection of us, I think there's a, 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 a horrible projection of black dads, right? I think for every Russell Wilson popular dude, they promote the hell out of future and his 20 kids, right? And I don't know what future does with his 20 kids because what if he takes care of all 20 of those kids? Can I be mad at them for having a bunch of kids? I won't be. If he's doing his job, you get what I'm saying? But I just think there's, there's not a consistent image because it, I think there's such a low level expectation for black dads that we get so much praise for, 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 for regular things. But I also think there's so many of us out here that we don't get enough promotion and push. Like, yo, there's, there's a lot of black dads, both single and in relationships, just putting in work. You just don't see us. 
because we're working. Like we're literally going to work and we're in the house with our kids. You don't see us and we're at the park, right? You don't, you, but unless you're in these dad spaces, you don't know we exist. But us dads know each other. I know all the black dads. There's a lot of us. And I say that not saying like there's only three of us. There is a lot of black dads, a lot of Cape Verdean dads. It's because it, I see them at the playgrounds. I see them at the parks. I, ch I chop it with these men. Like, it's so crazy that no one sees it, though. Like, like no one sees it. It needs to be hood dads, quote unquote. Like, these are hood dudes. Like, nah, this dude's at the game every week like this. He's at, he's at the recitals filming like, you know, like a soccer mom. Like, yo, they, they, we're here. We are here. Don't don't give us extra hype, cause we're here. We're not we're not special, cause we're here already. I would just add one other thing. You know, beyond the media, the systems aren't engaging men as fathers in the ways that they could. There are so many um, federal, state, and local programs that don't first don't welcome fathers in when we're talking about children, and they'll they'll engage the moms and they. If the father comes, they, they, they don't even address him. Um, and I've, been a, I've done a lot of work around fatherhood engagement. And we've been in, I've been in conference rooms with a, a whole grip of, of, of fathers that are dying to get with their children and be equal partners in helping to nurture their, their children and help them grow and be the best that they could be. And the systems push back against them. There's a lot still that needs to be done to make sure that we can make sure we're, in, we're including fathers in maternal and child health. We don't even say it in the name. I've been trying to push for that since I was in state government. There's a long way to go there. We're making progress, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, I didn't speak towards the system part of it, but if I was to speak towards that part, that part is the, the worst part, even worse than the media because I don't engage the media but I damn sure have to go sign my son up for a camp or sign him up for a program. And the look sometimes that I get of, well, where's his mom at? Like, I'm here. I'm the one doing this. I bring him to all the appointments. I make up all of the, 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 the whatever's going on, I create that, that schedule. And so the fact that I have to sometimes jump through these, like, these are unseen hoops. It's not even anything, like, it's just extra work you have to do. Like, it's, sometimes it's a level of disdain as if like you shouldn't be in this space, you don't deserve to be in this position. Um, and, and that's one thing I can say systemically, I have encountered it in, in a few places where I'm like, like, I don't even understand why I have to do this. If I was his mom, would I need to bring all of this stuff? No, but so why do I have to bring all of this stuff? I'm his dad, like I have him, he lives with me, I have all his paperwork, his social, his birth certificate, all of that. But I have to be on quote unquote court documents to prove that I'm a viable parent, right? You know what I mean? Like for you, so I just, let me just say, for years, there was no legal split custody. I just had my son. I legally had to do that a couple of years ago because everywhere I went, I was not considered the, the same um, value to him as if his mother would come with him to, to places to sign him up and do things. It was horrible. Um, that, that was probably, that, 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 that experience about being a dad, I don't know if people really, talk about it to deal with it but just that experience of the only time you're fully recognized is when the courts recognize you that that's horrific yo thank you thank you again like y'all are I well, want I want these people's numbers so we topics. can connect outside of this thing because we got some more to talk about mm -hmm. yes yes <laughs>
I'm down. We'll, we'll call this part Please one. Please share my information for sure. Yes, yes. This is part one. Like we are working to build a movement. Like we are hoping that these these podcasts and these episodes will spur in conversations at home. So. Um, listeners, as you're tuning in, please comment and to chat in with us on our social media platforms and let us know your own perspective. Share out what your experiences have been navigating the systems and hopefully we can start pushing things in the right direction by first initiating or continuing these conversations because we do recognize that they are already happening out there. Uh, we're just trying to amplify that, those voices that are speaking out and speaking truth to power. So. So shifting gears a little bit, our next conversation, um, we want to highlight that it is Pride Month, and we do want to think about how we can center um, efforts and and uplift our LGBTQI-identified folks out there and think about how to be better allies. So our next questions are, are related to that. So what do you all feel are things that Black men can do to start breaking down those barriers, um, especially as it relates to toxic masculinity and how toxic masculinity might prevent Black men from showing up and supporting and being allies to our trans and LGBTQ-identified community members, especially recognizing that trans, our trans brothers and sisters are disproportionately affected by violence and are often, unfortunately, excluded from conversations about the injustices that face our communities. So currently, right now, I work at an elementary school that um, really like prides itself on being very accepting of LGBTQIA groups. Um, And one thing that has been really helpful and also helpful for my work, but also helpful, you know, as a person is educating myself. So I did some safe space training in college, um, did a lot of classes in grad school to make sure that, you know, about pronouns and um, a lot of that information. And I think that kind of helped me understand a lot of things that might seem complicated to people, like um, how gender and sexuality are, are not always interchangeable, that they're, you know, could be separate and all those things. Um, But I think the big thing is educating yourself and understanding, I don't know, I think just educating yourself is really important. I think, you know, the more you know, the better you understand someone. And also just like being involved, like getting involved in the community and really understanding um, kind of the challenges um, that people who are part of the LGBTQIA group um, face is really important too. Um, so that's some of the work that I do. And I feel like I've always been somebody that's very accepting of every pe- everybody. So I think, you know, just the more knowledge you know, the better. So I, I definitely agree. Um, and I, and, you know, I just give the hood perspective a lot. A lot of what I've seen growing up influenced, you know, just how I thought about things, obviously, right? But I can say I was lucky to have parents who weren't, you know, you know, everybody has some type of biases just from what they deal with, but they weren't, in, you know, they weren't inherently biased or prejudiced or mean spirited against anybody. So I didn't really get a lot of that, those things pressed on me early on about, you know, people LGBTQ, like anything wrong with them in, in terms of like religion or any, none of those things overwhelmed my senses growing up. So as I got older, um, I, I'm not going to say I knew about all the issues facing the LGBTQ community but I could say I wasn't like oh my god I don't want to learn why should I learn it's like okay you're dealing with issues well let me hear what's going on with you because I know my life is whack as a black man sometimes I I recognize the plight of all oppressed people let me just say like that 
I recognize the plight of everybody oppressed. If you're oppressed, then you're for me and I'm for you. We are in the same struggle, right? Um, and that's how I started to look at it. And I started to educate myself about just what the different aspects of the struggle are and, you know, just, just, just how people identify. And it just helped me more and more as I was getting older. And, and in terms of masculinity, black male masculinity, and how we have these conversations, one of the things I also do is like, I had these conversations with my brothers, man. Not all my brothers are what you would consider enlightened when it comes to some of these topics, but I feel like it's my duty to like, not have a conversation in an accusatory manner, but just like a, like how much sense does that make type of conversation, bro, right? Like, like, like for an example, I'm one of my, my best friend, you know, he has a cousin who's trans, right? So like, and I'm, I'm sorry if that's not even proper. I'm not even sure. Like I said, I'm still learning, right? If, if I'm saying that is not the proper thing, pardon me. But he has a proper who, uh, a friend who, a cousin who identifies as trans, right? LGBTQ people in his family. But we were in the store one day and he seen a couple um, gentlemen and I guess they started to kiss and he was just so upset. Like, oh, I can't believe they would do that out here. And I'm like, why? It's like, they shouldn't do it out here. They should do it at home. I'm like, what's the difference? Why does it matter? You know what I'm saying? And from that conversation, we just had a dialogue, right? And I heard where he was coming from. And I felt like it was my job to say, you know, let's look at this from a different perspective, man. You know what I mean? And it's like, just informationally building up our knowledge base, like you said, Larry, so that we can just understand if you if you rock with oppressed people, you can't you can't be against. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. And that's how I feel. I'm oppressed. I rock with anybody who's oppressed. I stand for Hong Kong. You know what I'm saying? Like I stand for Venezuela. Like I stand for everybody who's trying to get their freedom. I stand for LGBTQ because like they can't get married because what? Come on, bro. Like, come on, like, it doesn't make any sense. So that's just, I'm done. I, I can't say it any better. The rap that I love still continues to be homophobic in all kinds of different ways. And, and we still see um, some of um, the elements of our black religion push back against the freedoms of uh, LGBTQ AI. And I, I that's why I, we, I, it's not just agree to disagree. We have to find ways to move on and move forward so that we can all stick together because uh, when we start splintering ourselves in all different ways, it, it, it just makes us that much less uh, cohesive and that much less strong. Everybody, everybody's got a hard a road to, uh, to hoe. And if, if we're all uh, fighting within ourselves, we're, we're pushing ourselves backward. Awesome. And I think for us, as we close this out, um, just recognizing that there are LGBTQIA people who identify as black men, who identify as black fathers, right? And so it's not a separate identity. It's that they're also part of this community as well. And then recognizing that when we're talking about toxic masculinity, it's intricately linked to homophobia, right? It's, it's linked to transphobia. It's linked to the way we view people who we feel they are other or don't show up as what a man is to be. And we talked a little bit about how that impacts you all as well. So grateful for how you all are sort of thinking about it and continuing learning as well. Thanks for sharing. Well, the, the data show that, that, that the persecution of uh, gay people is worse in when, 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 a, when a gay, lesbian, transgender person is black. The darker they are, the more persecuted you are. If, they're, if they are in a wheelchair, they're even more persecuted. So you have to understand all that intersectionality. Absolutely. And if I can, I've seen that toxic masculinity thing. And I, you know, I got to be honest, some of these like 
these popular phrases that have come about over the past couple of years, I'm just always like, and I just go, when I hear toxic masculinity, I say white supremacy. Let me just say that. When I hear toxic masculinity, I say white supremacy. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a history buff. And I, and I recognize the, the love of the female in, in African cultures, man, like our goddesses and our, and our, and our queens. And, and, and when I hear toxic masculinity, I just think of white supremacy and the subjugation of women and the subjugation of people of color. And I think that like when we, when we express toxic masculinity as men of color, I think it's because we've taken on the subliminal messages of white supremacy about who we are and what we are. And we just project it in our lives. So not making an excuse, but I'm just saying white supremacy permeates everything. It's like a hydra snake and, it, and you don't know what's in it until like you're like, wow, this thing really like poisoned the well. So it's, it's, I just want to say that like whenever I hear toxic masculinity, I'm like, wow, white supremacy is everywhere. It has all types of different names. It's amazing. That's a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> we dismantling white supremacy. So thanks for sharing that. Yes, yes, thank you. Thank you again for sharing and being so honest about where you are in your journey. This is all a process for all of us as we all continue to learn and unlearn some of the things that have been ingrained in us. So we appreciate your, your honesty and, and for, for giving that perspective. So we are nearing the end of our time. And as we wrap up, I have just another one last question. It's actually going to be a two-part question. The first question is from Tony, one of our um, listeners who asks, how have you all navigated or started the process of existing in professional spaces as Black men? So if you could comment on that, I know we've touched on it a bit, but just think about that as you um, think about your final answers. And then the last question is, what do you all think we can do to start to promote or to continue the process of promoting Black men? And just to follow up to that, like, what is your advice to the young Black men and boys that are listening? Um, I think when it comes to navigating professional spaces, one thing you need to, I feel like, one thing that I had to learn is that I belong in this space. And sometimes you might not feel like, oh, where I'm from or how I talk or all these things make me inferior to, to everybody around me in this space, but just know that you belong in that space. Um, and you fought really hard to be in that space. Um, and I think also in that space, I think two things I've learned over the years is advocacy. You need to advocate for yourself. If something isn't right, if there's microaggressions or um, if someone, or if there's a system in place that isn't working, like not being afraid to say like, this isn't working um, and coming at it in another way. Like what I do is I'll say like, this policy is um, hindering our black and brown kids. Here's another way we can frame it so we can support them. Um, and advocacy, and I think one thing too, is um, also creating a space with other black people at your job or people of color, like an affinity group or something where you can be able to be yourself and really talk about all the issues that are happening. I have like a really strong group of, um, since I'm only black male, um, black women at my job who kind of, you know, took me in and we have this group and I can go in there and be like, I don't understand what's going on right now. And they can kind of help navigate and we're really close. So that really helps. Okay. And some advice to promote black men is um, just support one another and support each other in a healthy and positive way. And another thing too, is if you see something and you hear something that isn't right or toxic or problematic, address it. Because sometimes, you know, you'll be around your, your people and somebody says something, you don't address it. 
you know, you're going against the work that needs to be done. So if you hear something, even if you don't know the person on the street, say something a little crazy, you, you have the autonomy to be like, bro, that isn't all right. That's not okay. Um, because it starts like us addressing it with, amongst each other, I think is really important. So um, towards the, the first question um, in, in terms of the work piece, I would say just, you know, Craig said it earlier, just being able to properly code switch but when you do it, recognizing that you're not losing you, right? Like one of the things that I, I've had to do when I was a career coach with some of the young men I worked with was tell them like, just because you switch codes doesn't mean you are quote unquote selling out or any of these other things, right? You know, if you were playing football, you wouldn't wear a basketball uniform. If you were playing basketball, you wouldn't wear a football uniform. You have to put on the proper attire and, I, and when I say attire, I don't just mean clothing. I mean even mental attire, right? You have to put on the proper armor to go out and face, you know, the work environment. And if you do that, as long as you're doing your work, right? You know, obviously always being professional, right? Do your work, you know, um, make sure that when you're, you're, you're giving your opinions, you're, you're giving your opinions based on like something that's, you know, a part of, making you progressive, making you better. You know what I'm saying? Like not just calling things out to call it out, but like how can we also work on the solutions for these issues? So that way people don't just think you're contentious. People don't just think you're, you're, you're subversive. You're actually trying to make yourself better. Um, organizationally, you're trying to make organization better. Um, in terms of promoting black men, I, you know, I, I think just really, you know, depending on where you work and what you do, I think there's always a, uh, a cadre of people you can just rely on, right? So as teachers, right, you know, you find those A-likes in your teaching circles, even if they're not in your school per se, you find someone who you went to school with who's in the same system, right? And it's like, what are you navigating in this system? In this, in this community engagement work and in, in this trauma work, I find people who do the same work that I do. So that way, you know, we can, you know, help each other elevate, learn about different trainings, learn about different strategies, learn, you know, just different places where we can progress and then, you know, just work together like that because we are <clears throat> not a small group, but like every sector has a, a certain sector in it, right? So like in my sector, it is a small group in the trauma support sector, right? There is a small group of teachers for Larry, right? Is a small group of public health. And I think when you're in these spaces, after being there for some time, you'll find the people who you can bounce those things off and, and, and be able to like elevate each other. Just to add with the great things that both Larry and Lavelle have said, there's an there's a inside-out part of this. So first, being your own advocate. Um, we, we live in a society where um, through the generations, we had to be twice as good to be on the even keel with, with the rest of society. And we can tear ourselves up by saying we were not, a, we're not good enough. And to find peace within our own skin and say, and be honest with ourselves, I did my best that time and that's the best I could do. And making peace with that in a way that, that is um, a way to find balance and, and not undermine yourself. We can be our own worst enemy and, and finding ways to just do the best you can and then be um, happy with that and then find trusted allies that you can you can um, make reality checks with to, to say 
how did you think that went? Or if I did this, would you, how would that be? None of us have succeeded by ourselves. We all succeed with others around us. And finding those allies that can be your supports, people that have been a little farther along that you had. And, and I, have, I have, whatever success I've had is because I found people that, that were um, the way that I wanted to be. I connected with them and asked them to help me get there. And, and the best thing we can do as brown and black people is find our allies and work as teams and try to then be mentors for other because if we can be support each other in our success we all succeed that that may sound corny in a way but that has been my reality and i continue to try to find ways to give back to as many people as i can and to um be a mentor if I, if, if if that's what someone is asking for and I've had so many that have helped me do the same thing. So finding ways for all of us to, to work together for our community to grow and be that much more successful. So dope, yes, thank you for sharing. Again, this has been beautiful. I'm moved by everything that's been said today. I'm so excited about this episode. It's definitely my favorite to date. And thank you, I appreciate the conversation. And that wraps up my part of this podcast. And so I will transition over to Dara and Fatima who will take us out. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. So on our podcast, we also have a wellness section. So I have a wellness question for you all. So currently, there's a lot going on in the news right now about the recent police killings. And a lot of young Black men especially have expressed feeling helpless, feeling like their life is not valued, and also struggling with feeling like they're not doing enough for the cause. And a lot of these feelings combined can cause, you know, a lot of stress. So my question for you all is, so what advice would you give young Black men and boys about protecting their mental health during this um, challenging time? For me, one big thing is to know when to turn social media off. When you are consistently watching videos, like the other day, um, I was good. I was good. I was like watching TV and I saw the protest they were having at Franklin Park and I saw like a young girl in the front with the Black Lives Matter sign and I started bawling. And I didn't know where the crying was coming from. I was good, I was happy all day and I just started bawling. And it's because it's so hard to see and when you see it every year, Trayvon Martin and just so many other people, it's, it's traumatic. So I think you need to really know like, you don't have to watch the videos. You don't have to read the articles. You can take time and be like, you know what, I'm gonna go on a social media cleanse that is okay. Um, and I also think that if there is a sense of hopelessness and things like that, um, really surround yourself with people who can care for you and take, take care of you. And also know that therapy is okay. Like I see a therapist. Um, I also see somebody who is holistic. So she, we do yoga and meditation and all that good stuff. And like, that is okay to like really take care of yourself. So tap into other resources um and know that there's resources out here that's really important one big thing also is i know we're in a in covid's happening and i know it's really hard to get outside but like getting outside and getting some fresh air go running go walking something active really does help you know boost your mood so kind of really take care of yourself and lean on people when you really feel like you don't have people we lean on your lean on other people if you feel like you know it's too hard for you to bear personally you know, so, you know, it's hard. Black men, we always feel like we got to hold everything to ourselves and not really express to other people. But it's okay to lean on your friends and your family. Um, 
that's a tough conversation to have with a young black man right now about his value. I would just say um, for the mental health piece first, the health well-being, just like like Larry said, reach out to those who, who, who you're connected with, you trust, and have those honest conversations. Just let that emotion out. Don't hold it back, right? Um, um, and be honest about what you need from people, right? And, 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 and let them know, like, like, I just need you to listen today. I don't even need you to say anything to me. I just want you to listen while I just, I cry or I rage out or whatever. Just give me a space to fully let out whatever it is I feel. You know, I don't know what it is that person feels, but just being honest with those people that you are going to engage with, professional and non-professional, about just how you how you, you may need to release in that moment. And for my young brothers, in terms of just, value and, and, and what they've, they've seen about themselves, like really disconnect from this social media and take some time to find out about your history. They don't tell you. And even when they tell you that, I mean, they're, they're telling us about Tulsa every day now. It's like they like telling us that we got massacred. They never told us about this crap before. Now, every day I'm hearing about Tulsa. I knew it, but like every day people who didn't know it, now on top of George Floyd and on top of Breonna Taylor and on top of Ahmed Arbery, now they're hearing about Tulsa and now they're hearing about the axe handles and all of these things that they weren't exposed to. You definitely have to disconnect from the, the, the pain porn of black black lives that they, they have on TV all the time and connect to some of the beauty of us. I One of the best things I could have ever did was learn about the beauty of my people, the geometry, the astrology, the science, the mathematics, the doctors, the kings, the queens, the revolutionaries, and they make me feel so good because they they cloak me, you know what I'm saying? They cloak me in their energy and it just, it, it helps me because I'm like, this is not just my struggle, but it is my job to help propel this struggle further for those who are wondering what they can do. Learn, be more educated about what you need to know so you can learn where you fit in the fight. Everybody's not physical. Everybody has to figure out where they fit in the fight and just do that. Thank you. Uh, I, I resonate with everything that Larry and Lavelle pulled down. I can't say much more other than to say, you know, as black men, we probably have um, the most to do to learn how to ask for help. If we could just raise our hand and say, I need some help. Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't been feeling myself for a while and I just need to talk to somebody or I just need someone to take care of me. Um, that's a hard thing for a man to say and it's a good lesson to learn to say when you need help. And that can take the form of emotional health by going to a counselor, seeing your doctor or your, your minister, what, what works for you, whether that's your, your significant other, but to be able to say, I'm having a hard time and I need some help is an incredibly important thing to do. And to maybe reson um, um, highlight a couple of other things that Larry said about the social media, if you could just shut the tube off, dosages um, matter, finding ways to take just the right dose and then step away as opposed to just be in front of it on unconsciously and let it, let it poison you in ways that it can, can overload. Stepping back from that is critical. And then finally, um, there can be a peer pressure that makes people feel like they need to be part of what the larger crowd is doing. I am all for protests, I am all for marches, but it's not for everybody. And if you're just helping one individual, 
to, to take care of themselves, whether that's an elderly person in your neighborhood or going over and seeing your grandmother or your aunt or your uncle, you've, you've contributed to the movement right there and then. And that's just as important. It is not these layers of what's most important. And if you don't do this march, then you didn't, you didn't, you didn't do, you weren't black enough. That's just not true. It is all those different things. And many of us, most of the work we do is, is, is contributing to the movement just by doing our job. And that's, a, that's, that's enough. As teachers, as youth workers, I can't say enough for who you are. They, they've been sprinkling the word hero like it's salt and pepper. It means something for the people that, for the you two that I see that you work and all of you people that are in this screen. We need to we need to take that in and, and feel it and let it and let it marinate in we in ways that don't feel like we have to do the extra because we do enough already. We've been carrying a heavy load for a long time. I appreciate y'all here and I'm and I'm grateful for this podcast. Uh I appreciate you and you and you and everybody that just shared, right? I mean, we know that we've been talking for a while, but every single moment, every single pause, every single word was needed to be heard so i appreciate each of you today um for your time with us and when we close out in tradition even though we've only been doing this for a little bit of time we like to offer a word to our audience that they can take with them right something that they could either meditate on or think about within the next week or two so what is one word just one word you want to offer to the black community particularly black boys and men that they can sort of embody over the next few weeks or months just one word for me, I was thinking about it. I had two words, but I'm going to do one word. Um, I think for me, it's grace. And I say grace because I think sometimes we can be really hard on ourselves, especially time right now, you know, where we feel like we, we have to be active. We have to be doing something and not really taking our mental health seriously or our health seriously. So just lean with grace and know that, you know, take your time in doing things and you don't have to put your all into it right away you can take your time um so i'm gonna say grace i know this is a cliche one but i'm gonna say love and i really like just love love yourself uh, really get to know yourself and love yourself value yourself and, and 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 just take that and hopefully when you really truly get the love for yourself you can start to be able to engage people in a way which you know that resonates with them and reverberates out my word would be gratitude if we can take stock in, in the gratitude, what we're grateful for, for in the moment and in our day, in our life, in the circumstance we're in right now, if you could find gratitude, then, then things start to expand. Well, thank you each for sharing that word. And I hope our audience can take that with them and, and look forward to the next couple of weeks and, and sort of practicing that word. Craig? Lavelle and Larry, we've truly enjoyed our time with you and I'm sure our audience appreciated your wisdom, vulnerability and truth. Nothing but the truth. Y'all have me sitting. I know all of us were on our seats where we were like, oh my gosh, right? This felt like, you know, a fellowship to men, like an open black, an open letter to black men. So we really hope that this episode is helpful for whoever gets to experience it. Um, if you all want to stay connected with these folks that we have today, you can find their info in our bio. We'll be sure to link all of your following wherever you are on social media and however else you want people to contact you. Um, and other than that, until next time, my hope is that you all take good, good care.
Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you all. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate you all. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you, brothers. Before you too. Talk to you all some more. Yes, Peace. definitely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Project Block. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, don't forget to share, rate, and subscribe. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, take it easy and keep bridging the things that matter the most to you. Blackout? Blackout!